My name is Tony Hodge. Welcome to Conversations About Mining and Society. So welcome to my conversation with Professor Neville Plint, the director of the Sustainable Minerals Institute at the University of Queensland. I'm curious, and I'm sure others will be curious, two years ago, you upped your family from South Africa, you moved them across the world, you left a strong position uh, in terms of employment there to take up your position as director here at, Sustainable, at the Sustainable Minerals Institute. Why? Why did you do this? So, Tony, I think I'm probably every time I'm asked the question, I, I come up with about 10 different reasons why. <laughs> I, I think the main reason was I'd been engaged with the Institute for, for many years, and it was really a huge fan of the work that it did um, and the focus that it had and the impact that it could have not only within companies, but also within society. I want to push you a little bit farther on that. The Sustainable Minerals Institute is particular. A research institute in a rich academic environment that is interacting on the one hand very strongly with industry, on the other hand very strongly with society, with government, and colleagues at the university. What does that add up to you, for you in terms of leading that charge with that complexity to deal with? Well, I'm glad you added the word in there, complexity, because um, <laughs> I think it's really easy to underestimate the the extent of the complexity of all those conversations, because that's really what it is. It's, it's multiple conversations with multiple people where you're learning, where you're learning about their perspective, you're learning how that fits together. And then I suppose trying to bring that together into, into a picture which makes a better, a better future. The core of the Institute is about developing leaders and leaders that can engage with that complexity. So, so we take people that have deep knowledge and then expose them at a fairly young age to, to this complexity. And by doing that, you start to create somebody who can step into a sector or into an industry, be it on the government side or on, on the company side, where they have an insight into the complex problems that need to be solved. So you don't develop leaders by giving them easy problems. You actually develop leaders by giving them really difficult things to do. And I suppose the exciting thing is most of the young leaders that we have don't realize they're difficult they just tackle them straight on. And they don't have filters or lenses that sort of taint how they look at things. So you start to get this real energy around, well, we actually can solve these problems. Um, so, so I think that's the excitement. And then what you have to do is temper it with, with experience. So this is about leadership. It's about solution building. And in a way, it's an applied <clears throat> focus for these people because you want to deal with real world problems. How do you deal with the, the, the criticism that comes that says, well, that's not really academic research. That's, that's stuff that, you know, would be better done out there. So, so it's a really interesting question because you can flip that around from multiple different stakeholders. You, you're always going to get criticism of, well, why aren't you doing it in a traditional way? So, so why don't you conform to a traditional paradigm? So, so the interesting thing is I really struggle with the paradigm that you can't apply new thinking to an old problem. So, so we're saying, well, if it's an old problem, well, it can't be novel, it can't be something interesting. And the same way, just because it's applied doesn't mean that it's not deep science. So, so we can understand what the problem is, and our core is to do the deep science that unlocks it, or the deep thinking, 
or, or the, the deep academic activities that you would find in a traditional um, academic environment. Just because we're applied to real world problems doesn't detract from the science or the integrity or the creative nature of the work that's been done. So are you trying to say to me, this is really, really interesting. Are you trying to say to me that deep thinking can come and deep understanding and deep wisdom can come as much from breadth as it can come from focused depth. Is that what you're saying? Yes, I, I think there's, there's huge value in how you, how you connect across the breadth. And, and if you look at real big breakthroughs, often it's at the boundaries between disciplines. So, so it's, it's where you suddenly start to look in between the silos in clear space where people haven't looked. So, so if you look at the, the, those that really have big breakthroughs, they're probably expertise, we've developed expertise in a number of different areas. And they start to see linkages. And they start to see patterns that you wouldn't see if you were very, very narrow. Now, I don't want to detract from the need to have a solid base and to have depth in one's endeavors. But man, there's got to be opportunity to, to look at how you clip those together. Working with your leadership team and others at the Institute, you've operationalized a very lovely matrix organization where on the one hand, there are some fairly classically defined areas of interest, health and safety, social responsibility, geology, mineral processing, uh, whatever. And you've matched that with a series of cross-cutting integrative themes that hopefully, I, if I'm interpreting what you've done correctly, will give you that breadth and that opportunity to tie things together in an innovative way. Now talk to me about how and why you define those cross-cutting themes. The themes really came from multiple conversations with, with a lot of different stakeholders. So, so the first year in the role was really around talking to people, both within the university, within governments, within civil society, within companies, and just trying to get a sense for, so what are those big issues that are really going to challenge us, not just as an industry, but globally? What are the big global issues that need to be tackled over the next 10 to 20 years? And, and they fall out fairly quickly. Um, and after the fourth or fifth conversation, people are starting to say the same things. What's interesting is they're all saying it from their disciplinary depth. Um, so then you suddenly start to have a look at it and you go, well, hang on, we're actually all trying to solve the same big problems. A and then you start to see that what's, blo and what's blocking that is communication. I'd, I'd love to say we've got it sorted. I, I think it's a big experiment. So how do we communicate across disciplines and often so much gets lost in the words that we use and the meanings we ascribe to those words. And the idea was, was how do we move from this sort of multidisciplinary into a more transdisciplinary where we're working together. And the themes that we came up with was, was looking at complex ore bodies. And this really talks to the supply. So what's the, where are we going to get the supply that we need for a low carbon future? Where, where are we going to get the metals from? And some really interesting work has come out of that. We then looked at mine life cycles. And that's really looking at um, risk, risk associated with closure, and, and where, where, where can we also get metal in terms of recycling um, and, and repurposing mine sites for, to deal with a lot of legacy issues. Step down into digital mining, and, and this one is productivity. It, it's, we know that there's 30 to 40% opportunity in productivity gains just by being able to make better decisions using data, using automation. So that's three of the programs. The fourth program um, looked at transformational learning. 
So this really talks to how do you institutionalize change? So, so we're doing all this great work, but how do we share it with our stakeholders? And then how do they operationalize it? And that will be through professional development, um, site-based work. And that really is picked up by this transformational learning. How do we transform the industry? And then the final one was really looking at leadership and governance. Um, so what we're seeing is a lot of people are putting forward really bold statements of, of what they want to do as, as in their companies or, or in their organizations. And the question was, so how do you lead for that new future? So those five programs, we've put them together, we've kicked them off, and, and we're really excited by what it's doing in terms of helping us to work across disciplines, across the institute and the university. Let me take you to a slightly different corner here in, in uh, what I know is very important to you. The institute plays a particular role. It's, it's a privilege to be part of this institute, to have the freedom and the opportunity to explore the way people are exploring, um, to have, on the one hand, access to the academics in the university environment, not only at UQ, but all around the world, to have access to leadership in industry and leadership in government and leadership in society. The people at SMI have the privilege and the opportunity to reach to all of that. What does that mean to you? What responsibility does that bring with it? Oh, so, so, so when you started describing, I'm going, well, that, that's the magic, isn't it? Is, is that the breadth and the ability um, to connect in that way? In terms of the responsibility, it, it really is on us to, to really reflect what we're hearing and to do it in a completely impartial, open, transparent way. Um, and, and that's a huge responsibility because you cannot, you, you've really got to listen intently and then help people see the other conversations because we'll be sitting in the middle and we can see the conversation of missing each other. So, so there's a huge responsibility to be bold and to show leadership and often I suppose to say, well, the emperor's got no clothes, no matter how difficult that conversation is. Um, and yes, and a number of the researchers do that. I mean, that's, that's why we're here. Um, and then offer, I suppose it's to also offer a potential solution. It, it's really easy to be critical, um, but that doesn't add value. The value is saying, well, this is what we're seeing, and here's a potential way forward. Um, so, so yeah, huge responsibility. So how does the SMI function most effectively as a change agent in society? So I think there's, there's enough out there on leadership that really talks to, if you want to create change, it, it's, you're welcome to have an opinion and express it. And um, you can make bold statements, but people will look at, so how do you act? So, so what, what are you actually doing? And often we see there's a disconnect between what people say they want to do and what they actually do. So I don't want to make any bold statements. What, what I'd like to do is I'd like people to go, gee, that's a really interesting place. I wonder what they're doing. Um, they seem to be getting stuff right. And, and you know, when I engage with the SMI, there's, there's a really nice culture there, and I'm engaging with a very diverse team, and they all seem to be very comfortable to express themselves, even though they're in an environment that maybe isn't receptive. They've got the confidence because they know that they've got the support of the institute behind them to say, absolutely, um, you, you and your opinion are valued. So, so I'd like to do it very quietly. I'd like to do it by example, which really is a high bar. 
you know, when you suddenly say, look, I want to do this by example, well, you've really got to work hard at it. So we're going to get smacked. We're going to get things wrong, but we're going to fix them and we're going to just keep going forward. Um, and hopefully people will, will get excited about what we're doing. This has been a very, very rich conversation. And I, I want to tie it to a completion with, with two questions. Um, they're related, um, but they're not trivial. In your view, what is the toughest issue, single issue facing the mining industry today? And in your view, what is the toughest single issue facing SMI today? I think the biggest issue is trust. So, so I, and, and it's interesting, as I dig into it, it's not just a mining issue, it's business. Business is not trusted. It dropped the ball. It, it, it created this massive GFC bubble um, and it dropped the ball and, and business is not trusted. Governments are not trusted. And we're seeing all the turmoil of that. So, so there's a lack of trust in the traditional frameworks that were put in place that gave people certainty. In terms of the Institute, I think our biggest challenge is articulating, so what is the value and what is the role we're gonna play in, in helping the sector um, deliver on the sustainable development goals. I think that's going to be our, so what is our value? How, how are we going to make a positive contribution for all our stakeholders? It, it's, not just, it's not just a productivity play. It's not just an environmental play. It, we've got multiple stakeholders. And how do we bridge that? So, so it's going to be, it, it's a really interesting space to be in because it's, it's not a simple, it's not a simple answer. Thank you very much for, for raising the Sustainable Development Goals. That's subject, I think, of a subsequent conversation because it's very, very important. Thank you very much for your, for your insight and for having this conversation today, Professor Neville Plint. <laughs>